Well, we are in for a full day. We have purposefully taken some time today to really focus on our next generation. This next building is about making room for this next generation. And so we have uh, all different aspects. We've invited a kids' worship team to come join our adult team. We've got all kind of things in store for you. You're going to see videos. You're going to see object lessons. And this is a moment for the entire family. It's a lot of fun when you have the opportunity. When you have two services, you don't normally see each other. If you go to the 9 o'clock, you don't see the 1045 crowd. So this morning we had the opportunity to make new acquaintances and get to see each other as we worship together. So let's stand as we get ready to worship this morning. And let's welcome the K-Crew, the kids' ministry team, of the assembly as they lead us in worship today.
Joining me on the platform are the deacons, the leadership board of this church that join me in prayer every day, meet with me often as we hear the heart of God for the present and the future. 
And so in the fall of 2012, we started praying together about the need to plan and prepare to expand so that we could accommodate present growth and future growth. And I'm so glad that they had the visionary leadership to do this because we're right now at a pace of growth in young families that's faster than ever. And you saw just a a slight reflection of that earlier in the service. You'll see more as the day goes on. And so from 2012, spending from September to December praying about that, we then brought it before you, the church, in early 2013. And it was overwhelming that we should say yes to do this. And here we are, ready to break the ground to get this project started. And I want these men to step up. Uh, Just come on up here, guys. To my far right is Jack Yates. Standing beside him is Doug Huber, who is also our incredible architect and has done a phenomenal job. Next to him is Max Brissy, Charles Zwick, Greg Newbern. And the glow on Greg's face today, it is because we're breaking ground and because OSU won last night. I just, I just, uh, I, I didn't want you to leave going, did you see Greg's face? He was so excited about the groundbreak. I, I have to let you know the full impact of that glow. Next to him is Greg Hash, and then we have Chad Burnett, and finally, Dr. David Wakefield. These are visionary, forward-thinking men who love this church, deeply rooted in its history and its future. Would you show your appreciation to them for all they have done to get us to this point? Amen. God bless you guys as you're seated. Kelly and I could not be more blessed by the support and the passion that they bring to the vision of this church to help hear the heart of God and to shape that into a process and a plan. A process and a plan that has led us to breaking the ground on a children's ministry center. It's a ministry center. And it's important on a day like today to be reminded what we mean by ministry to kids. It is no doubt that if you take the book of Daniel and you study what was happening in what I would call a Nebuchadnezzar world, a culture that was very unique there in Babylon, you see it's very similar to the culture we're living in today. And Daniel had such a relationship with God that he was not anti-culture, and yet at the same time, very clearly, he stood with a moral fortitude for his convictions to honor the one true God. You see that as the book of Daniel unfolds in those three teenagers, and you're going to see more about their story in a few moments, but it helps me to remind us the reason we do ministry is so that we could raise up Daniel's in this Nebuchadnezzar world. That's the reason. Not people that are angry at culture because you don't influence culture by being angry at culture. You don't influence people that have a different viewpoint by being angry at people who have a different viewpoint. 
Like Daniel, he had this winsomeness about him. He had this incredible strength of character, and yet such an ability, and I I know it was God-given, to relate and influence culture. And so that is what we want to do every time we open the doors of this children's ministry center is to have our team ready, understanding there is a developmental process that is happening in these formative years where convictions, beliefs, a certain life path is being carved out internally And we believe that it is so obvious because the word of God says it and then social science has come right along and affirmed it. It's empirical about how important the early years are. So any church that is on point will be making a huge investment in that early childhood ministry because that is where we want to pour into them, plant heart deep, the seed of truth, so that it will shape and form their lives. To give you a little more insight about this idea of the developmental stage, the guy who leads our children's ministry team, he is coming now. He's absolutely brilliant. He is going to take us through this and show us how it ultimately unfolds from the the thought of what it means for these kids to be in the formative years to the creativity in putting it into practice so they can actually be those Daniels in the Nebuchadnezzar world. We welcome my friend and this awesome leader, Associate Pastor Chance Bosch. God bless you. Thank you. you. Well, good morning. I want to spend just a few moments, and what I want to do today is three things. The first is I want to examine what Scripture has and what Scripture tells us about our role in the spiritual formation of my children, your children, our children. And then I want to pull in what we have learned throughout time about educational process, what we know about human development, how a child develops. And then I'll finish it with an illustration. So let's begin. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 real quick. And if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to find very early in Scripture there is this mandate to impress upon children the commands, the stories, the rules, the system. So impress upon children the commands of God. If you continue to read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we actually see that that command is tied to a process later in a kid's life. And it says, so impress upon them early on the commands of God. And then later in the chapter it says, they will return and ask the meaning of those commands. What do they mean? Let's look at Proverbs 22.6, a verse that someone even quoted to me this morning. Train up a child in the way they should go. Once again, giving us an obligation to train children because it connects to something that will happen later in their life. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Meaning when they're old, they will return to the impressions that you made upon them. Now let's let's pull in what we know about child development, education. We would look at cognitive development, moral development. Let's just generalize those and let's talk about 
the mind, this, this brain housing group. And, and this will be cognitive development, knowledge, understanding. And then let's let our, our heart, our soul, our center, let's let that represent morality, our convictions, our beliefs. So I'm going to throw a chart up here. And it's going to talk about how we develop cognitively our mind, how our mind develops. And what you're going to notice is that this mental organization, the structures, they develop really at a very young age and they increase. About age 12, they continue to increase even faster. And it peaks out about age 35. Now that doesn't mean you stop learning at age 35. Some of you are like, whoo, safe. What this shows you is that around age 35, we have a difficult time restructuring what we know, changing what you know. You still get more information. For example, this is why it's hard later in life to learn a new language. It's hard to restructure those linguistic patterns. It's also hard later in life to change your perspective on something, even though you're given new information. Okay? So let's bring this back to childhood. Look at around age 12, 13. A window starts to form that we'll reference later. You can't change this curve. You will learn throughout your life. You will be presented with information. But there's a drastic increase on the amount of information and knowledge that you're given from 12 to 35. That's the mind. Let's talk for a moment about the heart, the core, the center of who you are, of who your kids are, of who our kids are. There's really three general phases when we talk about the development of your core, your values, characteristics, beliefs, standards. The first phase is really childhood. And in this childhood, it's black and white. It's right and wrong. This is why that if you try and change a, a kid's perspective on something, they'll tell you, but my teacher said it's right or wrong. That's the way it is. That's how our morality, our center develops when we're about age 2 to 12 in that childhood process. You can teach them right, wrong, black, and white. Now, we enter phase two when we talk about adolescence. It doesn't mean that you can't teach right and wrong. What it means is that moral process for an adolescent begins to be shaped around social norms, around their peer groups. This is why it's so important to have amazing youth pastors that work on focusing on a faith community for your teenagers. So it begins to, it begins to shape from right and wrong to what does my local community believe? Maybe that changes my meaning. And then later in adult life, you see this third phase. In adult life, you begin to change how you view your standards and beliefs and the meaning they give to you based on a global perspective. What did what I learned as a kid, what is the meaning of that for all humanity? Now, let's overlap these two groups and let's look at what we could view as a window. A window of opportunity for you and me and us together in a partnership. What you're going to see is you're going to see a graph where the mind is being influenced and is growing. And the center is being taught only the right and wrong. Only the black and white. And what you can see is as that closes around age 11, something different happens. 
So instead of talking about that more often, let's look at this window. Let me illustrate what we could do, what we do right now, if we're intentional. Now the best way to show you what we can do when we're intentional is to show you what we, happens when we're unintentional. I have two spheres here, and in a second, we're going to demonstrate the learning process through the, uh, the dropping of spheres, colored balls. Okay, But let's let the top represent our mind, our cognitive development, the knowledge that we will gain throughout our entire life. Let's let the bottom represent that center, that morality, that fortitude that you're going to develop. And I have a slider here, and let's let this slider, this window, represent that window that closes at age 12. And so here's what happens when you're unintentional. Age 2, age 4, age 6, age 10, age 12, it closes. You will learn the rest of your life. You will be presented with knowledge and information. But here's, here's the real issue. If we're not intentional about the way we help children develop their spiritual formation, this is all that we provide them in a context of right and wrong to anchor what they're going to do the rest of their lives. Right and wrong and the information for the rest of your life. This is the unintentional process. Let's look at what happens if you're very intentional. Again, we have the same. This is your center. This is your heart. This is your mind. Here's our, our window that, that will close at age 12. So you're intentional with partnerships, with what you present your children. They're building a, a moral fabric of right and wrong. This is yes and no. This is the way things are. And it closes about 10, 11, 12. And remember what I said, you can't stop this process. This is why we're all still learning today. You can't stop how we change the meaning of our values. But here's what happens when we're intentional. You give a child substance. You give a child weight that they can anchor the rest of their lives with. Our kids will grow. They will develop. They're going to go through peer influences and global influences. But we can choose to give them this substance versus this substance. Now, this is the process that happens behind the scenes here at the assembly. This is the foundation behind what we do. And what I want to show you now is what that looks like on a Sunday. Thank you. dark and unusually cold day as I look across this windswept plain. Under these clouds today, evil decisions will be made. Decisions of conformity, decisions of compromise, 
but hopefully we shall see decisions of heroism as well. As these officials gather onto this plane called Dura, they have been called here for a dedication. They have been summoned here by the king to show allegiance to him. They will show him that they serve and worship only him. And if they do not, they will be put to death. As these men begin to gather in the middle of the field, they see it rising out of the ground, standing 90 feet above their head, is a golden statue. This is to be the object of their affection, an inanimate, powerless, lifeless object that can do nothing for them. But this isn't the only objects on the plains of Dura today. Set off to the left of this golden idol is a blazing furnace. Its warmth beckons men to draw closer to it on this chilly day. But those flames are not a source of comfort, but a source of death. It will be an instrument of punishment for those who choose not to bow down before the golden idol of the king. For many officials here, bowing before this golden idol isn't a big deal. They never had a system of belief that taught them that they should only worship the one true God. But for three men here, bowing down before this golden idol is a very big deal. For they were taught when they were young that they should only worship the God of their ancestors. They should only worship the one true God. And this golden idol is not him. Born as Jews. And in their late teens, these men were taken into captivity in Babylon. And with God's help, have risen into power in King Nebuchadnezzar's courts. And now they hold positions that most men would do anything to keep. And at this time, a decree is given. And it states, when the music plays, every knee of every man must bow down before this golden idol. And if they do not, they will be sentenced to death and thrown into the fiery furnace. The tension begins to mount as these three men looking at each other and without saying a single word, they all know what they must do. And after a few moments, the music begins to play. And one by one, every knee of every official begins to bow down before this idol. All but the three. They will not bow. Instead, they stay standing. And quickly, they are drugged from the crowd and ushered into the king's presence. Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, full of rage, said to these men, I will give you one more chance to bow down. 
And then he leaned forward from his throne and through gritted teeth said, But if you do not, I will have you thrown into the blazing furnace. Then what God has the power to save you from my hands? These three men hearing this said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, our God has the power to save us. Our God has the power to rescue us from your hands. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. We will not worship your gods. Hearing this, the king orders that the fires be turned up seven times hotter than they've ever been turned up before. And he orders his strongest men to come and bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their hands and their feet are bound as they are drugged towards the mouth of the fire. And as the guards begin to get closer, they begin to feel the heat rising in the air. And before they themselves are incinerated, they toss Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the flames. A fiery death is not the end of this story. For there will be no more suffering on this day. For the God of these three men is not going to let them die. He is going to protect them and he is going to answer the king's question of who has the power to save them by saying he has that power and he will do it now in the fire where there once were three, there is now four. light shines out of the fire as God himself walked among them. Nebuchadnezzar cannot believe his eyes looking in disbelief until finally with great fear he calls these men to come out of the furnace. Standing before him the king realizes their clothes don't smell of smoke and they're not even singed. And it's at that moment the conviction of God falls upon Nebuchadnezzar. And standing from his throne, he makes this proclamation. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and rather die than worship or serve any other god except their own. Therefore, I decree to all people, whatever their race, whatever their nation, whatever their language, speaks a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb because there is no other God that can rescue like this.
that is what your children receive every week. There's an amazing team of Imagineers and tech people and then those who deliver the message. That's what we mean by ministry that happens every time we open the doors of the church. The function is what should drive the form. We have a certain architecture. We have a certain design. But it should be shaped by what we do inside of the building. And what we do as a function is we want to pour in God's word so that these children, like those three Hebrew children, will have the strength to stand and make a difference in their world. That is what this is about. So you see the function of the ministry. Now you will see the building that we're going to shape around this ministry. We want to show you again what it is that we break ground on today. And while I show you this, I want every child 11 years old and under. If you're 11 and under, I want you to stand. 11 and under. And when this video starts... I want all of you to come down here with me, okay? Everybody 11 and under, come down here. Everyone else, watch this. Our phase two expansion will include the construction of a two-story, 34,000 square foot children's ministry center on the east side of our current building. This children's ministry center will connect directly to our main facility providing a covered drive for easy drop-off and pickup, and easy access to secure check-in areas inside. The lobby will be an expansive area to accommodate the many children and young families who participate in our children's services and programs. State-of-the-art check-in areas will allow for quick, secure access, while giving their parents plenty of time to attend the main worship service and adult classes. In addition to our outdoor playground, the new facility will feature a beautiful indoor playground. This will allow year-round enjoyment for kids as they play, connect, and make new friends. Our new children's wing will provide larger, enhanced nursery facilities, colorful, safe, and secure environments that will allow us to care for our youngest. The new nursery will be large enough to allow for continued growth and it will provide much needed resources to our nursery workers and staff. Our kindergarten center will be an age appropriate place for transitional ministry. A space designed for those children too old or developmentally advanced for nursery, but too young for elementary. It will provide ministry alignment, including small group instruction, big group settings, game time, and worship experiences. And this will be our new Kids Inc. main auditorium, an expansive worship center that will dazzle the eyes and excite the hearts of young people. This new elementary worship center will replace the current children's auditorium with a larger, more kid-friendly venue. This facility will be state-of-the-art the kind of place that will provide tremendous opportunities for connection and spiritual growth to our kids today and to the many new members we'll see in the months and years ahead. This new facility won't just make our facility larger. 
and will make our ministry to children and their parents stronger. And this exciting next step is just the beginning. Now, let me ask all of the kids, hey, all of you, would you stand up with me? Would you stand up? This is the generation that we want to pour into so that they are Daniels in a Nebuchadnezzar world. So that these young men and women are never gonna be looked at as just kids, but they are young and they are purposed right now. Can you say amen? We are going to invest in such a way that the proverb that Chance gave us will be true. We wanna raise them up, partnering with you, to raise them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Children, raise that shovel as high as you can. Church, are you ready to break ground on this new building? Come on and stand to your feet and let's give God praise for where we are and where we're going. Lord, we hold these shovels up because it represents the beginning of a project that is going to help us do even more to serve the purpose of reaching the next generation. These children and the children in this community, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Inform us by your word. Lead us with your love and let us make a difference for your honor and your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.